Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. in florida so she gets to go down to florida while we sit back here in our studio willing a baseball season hopefully having some news there soon thank you so much for tuning in on this tuesday afternoon if you're watching live on the mass and nationals facebook page or youtube channel be sure to hit that like button or subscribe button so you get up to the minute information when we have it ready for you and of course follow the mass and all access podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and or soundcloud i do have reinforcements with amy gone though i have mark zuckerman of massandsports.com joining me via zoom mark thank you so much for your time i know you're very busy right now usually are this time of year are you like me right now kind of envious or feeling tortured that the weather up here in the dc area is is getting warmer and we're not talking about a baseball season yet yeah i mean i'm i'm envious of everything when you said that amy's (laughs) down in florida i'm like come on (laughs) what are we doing here can't we take the show on the road even if there's nothing to cover Uh down there yeah this is this is weird and unfortunately this is a couple years in a row now uh, I, I'm, I'm learning way too much about what DC weather in March is like. <laughs> I never knew what it was like before. And all of a sudden, the last few years, I'm learning way too much about what the weather is like here this time of year. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was uh, almost 80 degrees on Monday. And today is, I think, the highest mid 50s. There's a chance of snow on Saturday. And so, yeah, you're usually down in Florida, West Palm Beach this time of year for the month of March. Um, you know, I am expecting snow for St. Patrick's Day. So uh, welcome to D.C. March weather. Uh, the weather always here is changing and unpredictable and uh, you'll never get used to it. Um, but of course, there is no baseball to talk about right now. Mark, the lockout continues. We're finding that Tuesdays are our days for I guess news, if you want to call it that, updates more so the less. Uh, later today, we should hear more about uh, the uh, latest proposals and either whether we'll have a deal, new CBA or not. I, I know you, you can't give out your you know any biases or, or, or um, what, what have you, but just can you give us, for those who aren't as educated or don't know any as much as you do, can you just give us the bare bones, just the facts and figures of this uh, nego- these negotiations and what each side is looking for uh, to gain in this new CBA? Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting here, Bobby, is that both sides have pretty much dug into what it is that they are asking for. And while there's been a little bit of movement, there's not a whole lot of movement. And certainly to date has not been the kind of movement that makes you think they're anywhere close to finding a middle ground in each of these different categories. And it's not just one issue, it's multiple issues. I do still feel like the luxury tax, the competitive balance tax, as it's called, is the number one issue, it seems like, or certainly the issue where they're the farthest apart on. And I think the reason for that is that it's not just a simple numbers question. It's not just, well, we want X number of million dollars, you want X number of million dollars, so let's find a midway point. It's a little more philosophical than that. You have on the ownership side, on the MLB side, an insistence that the luxury tax is really a necessary tool to try to maintain some competitive balance in the sport. That was the reason that it was instituted back in the late 90s, to try to prevent the biggest market clubs from just outspending everybody else and always winning as a result. So they're pretty firm in that stance and saying like, we need this thing. This is actually better for the sport. On the player side, you have them saying, no, it doesn't really promote competitive balance. Instead, it sort of serves as a a de facto salary cap. And 
aside from a couple of teams each year that are willing to go over it, most are saying we're just not going to get up to that number. We're going to get close, but not go over. And so in a way, that's depressing salaries. And it doesn't encourage the small market teams to spend anymore because there's no restrictions on them. So we can talk about the numbers and say, oh, should it be 238 million, 250 million, whatever. I think really this is more of a philosophical question than anything. And eventually, when this is all said and done, somebody's got to break from that. They've got to actually acknowledge that it is a tool they want to continue with or a tool that needs to be significantly changed. And if this drags on for a long time, my hunch is that that's the number one issue that's going to keep it from happening. Well, hopefully it doesn't drag on for too much longer and we have baseball coming up soon. I feel like we need to put together like a glossary of uh, short terms that everyone needs to know. CBA, CBT, luxury tax, pre-arbitration, all that stuff. All these terms get thrown around during these negotiations and it kind of confuses uh, just the average everyday fan. But uh, yeah, hopefully we get a resolution soon. We know that there are supposed to be uh, some kind of announcement later this afternoon. So be sure to follow at Mark Zuckerman on Twitter and of course the blog on MassInSports.com. Whether or not that's an agreement... Remains to be seen, but Mark will have you covered throughout the course of these labor negotiations as they continue, and hopefully we'll get to spring training sooner rather than later. All right, let's move away from all that nastiness and get to uh, some more fun things and and Nats-centric topics. Um, Mark, you and I haven't talked in a while, and of course, a couple of news items that came over the last couple of weeks, one being Ryan Zimmerman's retirement. Uh, You wrote a couple of really great pieces on MassInSports.com about it, of course, voiced um, your, uh, you know, applause for Ryan Zimmerman's career on Twitter. Twitter, uh, you covered Ryan his entire career um, here in D.C. You might know him better than anyone in terms of the D.C. media. Connor, just any other lingering thoughts on Zim's uh, retirement, that decision, and why it came right now, and maybe uh, any final thoughts on his career and lasting um, legacy here in D.C.? You know, it really is the end of an era, a very long era, uh, Bobby. The, the Nationals, as we know them, have not existed without Ryan Zerman. Other than a few months early in 2005 before he was drafted, he has always been a part of this team, even when he sat out the 2020 season. And so I think at the moment, we don't really think about it because the team isn't down there in West Palm. We're not really covering them. We haven't seen them take the field yet. But there's going to come a day here at some point this year when the Washington Nationals are on the field for a game in the 2022 season. And Ryan Zerman is not only not on the field, but he's not on the IL. He's not in the dugout. He's just not a part of this anymore. And that's really a significant change and something that we're going to have to get used to. That for 17 years, we just kind of in the back of our minds knew that Zim was going to be a part of this no matter the role, whether it was early in his career as a gold glove third baseman, whether it was later in his career as a, a solid first baseman, or even last year as you know a really quality bench bat and occasional starter. Um, it's going to be strange. It's going to be really strange to, to not have him around. And why it happened, you know, I, the, the thing we'll never know, and I don't know if he'll ever come out fully and say it, if we don't have this labor issue, if spring training starts on time, the season's going to start on time, maybe he says, you know what, I'm going to go through with this one more year. You know, I can still play. I, I think deep down, he knew, we all knew he could play. It was a matter of did he want to, and did he want to put his body through everything that he needed to to get ready for a season and then ultimately you know keep his body in shape throughout a whole season well if you don't know when the starting date is you don't really know how you're supposed to prepare how much when is he going to keep his body in shape for three four months waiting to see is spring training going to start so i think that was part of it i think obviously the direction the team has gone in the last six months was a part of it um this is a team that is 
not going to go into this season expecting to contend. This is the first start, uh, first portion of the rebuilding project. If they were going all in trying to win again, I could see him having more motivation to come back and deal with the other stuff. So you put that all together, and I think that's you know why we are where we're at and why he made the decision when he did. But you know, so it wasn't surprising, certainly. But it's still kind of it's sad because you do know this is the end of a really long era and in a lot of ways the beginning of a whole new era and who will the next Ryan Zimmerman be for the Nationals yeah that's true and you talk about the lasting effect and you know how will this will be the first time we see the Nationals without I mean there are a lot of fans my age and even younger who you know look up to Ryan Zimmerman and they think of baseball they think of Ryan Zimmerman and then um, he's no longer going to be around of course he'll be around in other aspects of the franchise you know alumni stuff work maybe working in the front office you know he's not going anywhere physically but not being a part of the team not seeing number 11 run out on the field every single day uh, is definitely going to be kind of take some time to getting used to so uh, applause to uh, Ryan Zimmerman and, and congratulations to a great career congratulations to his family um, uh, we can't wait to see him around the ballpark seeing number 11 retired maybe a statue built outside Nationals Park. All that celebration is still to come uh, celebrating a great career. And, you know, Mark, it was kind of fitting that he did get that send-off on the last day of the regular season, you know, because go back to the short 2020 season, you think of guys like a World Series heroes like Sean Doolittle, who Daniel Hudson, who didn't, or Daniel Hudson who had last year, but, you know, guys like that who didn't get that kind of send-off as a national. No, their careers aren't over yet, but there were no fans in the stands when they kind of finished their time here. At least Ryan got that moment on the last day of the regular season last year. Yeah, it really did. When you think back that day, it was perfect. The, the only part of it that wasn't perfect from that standpoint was that the team was not doing well and right. the game didn't matter to them. But on a personal level, that was everything you could want in a, a finale. The curtain calls, the emotions. Uh, you know, I, I keep thinking he had a chance late in the game. I think it was his last at bat to actually deliver a, a hit that would have uh, brought the Nats back to, to at least tie the Red Sox or something like that. And, um, you know, didn't come through for one of the few times in his career that it didn't, but everything else about it was so picture perfect. And I do remember thinking as that all played out, well, this has got to be it now, right? Like you can't come back after that. How awkward would that be? Like, are we going to do this all over again in a year? And you know, the answer was maybe we would have. Um, And I I truly believe that he had not made up his mind yet at that point. I think he wanted to sleep on it. He wanted to wait and see how the off season played out. Um, But by the same token, let's give credit here to Heather Zimmerman. Because she's the one who the night before convinced Ryan to let them honor him that day um, to go ahead because you never know if this is the end of it and you didn't do something like that, you might end up regretting it as you just talked about guys who never got that opportunity. It's very rare in the sport for players to get to go out on their own terms like that. You know, think about for the most part, guys end up retiring either because their bodies break down or they're just not productive anymore and they end up losing playing time or, you know, they're clogging up a spot on the bench that somebody else should have, or maybe the team that they played for decides to move on and they want to continue. So they go sign somewhere else and play for another year or two. I mean, it's really rare for somebody to get to go out like Ryan Zimmerman did. And I think it just, it adds to it. It's such a a perfect book ending to uh, the, the story of his entire career here in DC. Not only is that, but it's very rare that someone spends 16 years with one franchise, I and mean, we don't see that in any kind of sport nowadays, especially baseball, um, with the you know, way free agent market works. And you mentioned crediting Heather Zimmerman. I mean, I'm sure Heather deserves a lot of credit for what goes on in that household with all the kids, all the work she does with the Zims Foundation. So Heather definitely kind of the unsung hero uh, of the Zimmerman family uh, over there. But um, so with Ryan leaving, that does leave uh, a roster spot to be filled on the Nationals roster right now, a backup first baseman, of course, the addition or the 
presumptuous addition of the designated hitter in the National League this year. Uh, aside from uh, where do you think the Nationals could, you know, kind of look to go fill those holes in the roster once this lockout is lifted? And what other roster spots do you see them addressing um, once kind of this free agency frenzy that everyone's expecting kind of opens up again? Yeah, I mean, look, there are some significant moves that are still uh, need to be made whenever this ends, and they're going to have to happen in like 72 hours as the entire sport scrambles to uh, sign these hundreds of free agents that are still uh, out there and available. So it's going to be interesting to see how they pursue that. My hunch all along has been whatever moves they make are more likely to be short-term than long-term. I don't think you're going to see multi-year deals. It's probably going to be one-year deals to fill specific needs. I mean, I think they clearly need at least one more, just like legitimate bat in the middle of their order. Probably somebody to hit behind Josh Bell as like a number five hitter. Now that could be a third base. It could be in left field. It could be a DH if that's what we're looking at, unless they decide that they want that position to be kind of a revolving door sort of thing. So they could go a lot of different ways here. And I'm not exactly sure what the right answer is. But what I would also think though is whatever they do to kind of replace Zimmerman, it's probably not going to be a true just backup first baseman. But that was a little unusual. They had that. That was mostly a product of his defensive limitations. He really couldn't play any other positions uh, at the end of his career. I think what Josh Bell showed us last year is that he can play 130 games at first base. He can have success against lefties. He doesn't need to have those days off. He doesn't really need to be replaced for defense late. He did a good job there. So my guess is that whoever ends up backing him up this year is going to be somebody who has other roles on the team as well, somebody who plays multiple positions. Yes, you maybe want a right-handed bat for that spot, but it doesn't have to be a straight-up right-handed backup first baseman. It could be somebody who plays both corner infield positions. It could be somebody who also plays the outfield. Uh, you know, I think they could go a, a lot of different ways with that and um, and have a little more flexibility than they had with Zimmerman. Now, again, not that they wouldn't have happily brought Zimmerman back for another season because what he did in that role was very effective. But now that he is gone, I think it opens the door for you to look at that position in a different way and not necessarily feel hamstrung to uh, sign sort of a comparable player at this stage. We know how much Mike Rizzo likes guys with versatility. He already brought in a handful of versatile veterans on minor league deals before the lockout, and they're down there at West Palm Beach getting ready for the season right now. Although one guy who does not need to worry about his roster spot for right now, of course, is Juan Soto out in right field. And Mark, we haven't talked on, on the podcast yet, you and I, about the report of the extension offered that the Nationals gave him right before the lockout, and which he also turned down. Um, there's also reporting over the weekend that he spoke to the media down in the Dominican Republic, did not address any further that any further, but then also uh, said that he would not mind spending his entire career here in D.C. What did you make of that offer? Did you get a chance to kind of think about it anymore? And uh, where do that those kind of negotiations go from here uh, once the season starts? So I think the two points to make about that offer and the response to it are these, and, and they may sound like they don't go together, but I think they really do. We have to acknowledge that both of these things can be true. Number one, it was a good, fair offer for the Nationals to present them. It, it didn't have deferred money. It's a huge sum of money for a lot of years. That's a legitimate, fair offer for them to make to him at this point. Number two, it's also perfectly fair and acceptable for him to turn that down right now. We have to remember that he is under no pressure to sign that deal. He has three years left. And if we are to assume that the new CBA, that the system is going to be somewhat similar to what we're used to right now, 
his salary is going to keep going up for the next three years through the arbitration process. And so I think this is sometimes what's hard for fans to understand. Like, how can you turn down $350 million? Well, the way you do it, the reason that you do it is that baseball's financial system is set up, especially for the star players like Soto, to guarantee that he's going to keep making more each year, that your, your salary increases each of the next three years through arbitration. And now, by the time you get to free agency, you've already set the bar higher. So let's say he's making $30 million a year in his final year of arbitration. Well, now that's the bar. And every year beyond that in a new deal is going to be for more than $30 million. Right now, he's only looking at you know, 15, 20 million or something like that this year. So to sign a deal now, you're sort of starting it out at that lower level. The only incentive for a player to sign a deal like that right now is as insurance in case he were to get hurt and it would damage his career. And yes, that's a risk that you're taking by not signing. But by the same token, if you're Juan Soto, we're not just talking about any player. You're talking Juan Soto who has done things so far in his career that hardly anybody of his age has ever done in this sport before. Even if you suffered a bad injury and had to miss a season, chances are you're going to come back the next year and be the same player again. And now that number is going to start rising again. So unless it was something that truly ruined you as a hitter, ruined your playing prospects long-term, you're always going to be better off waiting it out, letting the system take care of itself, and now having the ability to negotiate with all the teams instead of just one. So I credit the Nationals for making the offer. I think it was the right thing for them to do. I think they shouldn't give up there. I think they should keep going over the next couple of years. But ultimately, I think we all have to understand that it's almost certainly going to go down to that last year in 2024, at which point it becomes a free agent, which doesn't mean they can't still resign it. You know, he can now negotiate with other teams and now they're in a bidding war with other teams. But if he truly wants to stay here, they have the opportunity to resign him. And that's why I think ultimately the most important thing the Nationals can do to try to keep Juan Soto long term. Yes, you got to offer him a sum of money that nobody's ever made before in the big leagues. But more than that, by 2024, put a competitive team on the field again so that you have a chance of winning again with him and he sees that the organization is now back to where he's always known it to be and he may have more incentive to want to stay here long term. If they're still in year three of a rebuilding project and they're in last place in the NL East, I think it's a lot tougher to convince them to stay at that point. So yes, making the the offers money-wise, but also spend the next three years making this team as good as you can so when the time comes, worst case, you got one more shot at winning with them on the roster, Best case, you've convinced them to stay long term. Yeah, like you said, both can be true. It can be a, both a fair offer and both be smart for Juan Soto to turn it down. And I'm sure Mike Rizzo would love to put together a competitive team within the next couple of years to make sure Juan Soto feels comfortable staying here for the rest of his career. That kind of covers the major topics. I mean, we, we of course, don't know the exact roster once camp does open up. Uh, but as it stands right now, when you look through it and you kind of expect, you're looking at, you know, maybe p- possible position battles or what have you, are there any other storylines that you're kind of looking forward to seeing how they play out once camp does start? Yeah, I mentioned a couple of those positions in the field where they might still look to do something. I think third base is still very much a question mark. Are they going with Carter Keboom again? Are they going to go with uh, somebody they signed a minor league deal like Michael Franco? Are they maybe going to move some other pieces around? Cesar Hernandez, who they signed, we think is going to play second base, but does that move Luis Garcia to shortstop? Whereas Alcides Escobar, there's a lot of moving parts in the infield, and I'm interested to see how that all shakes out. Um, at left field, 
Is it Yadiel Hernandez? Is it maybe Lane Thomas in left field with Victor Robles getting the job in center again? Is there another bat to go get? So I think those are the um, positions in the field where there are some questions. And then really, I mean, the pitching staff is just all question marks right now. Now, some of these may all work out great. If Steven Strasburg is healthy and back to his old self, they've got an ace. If he's not, they're in trouble. If Patrick Corbin is back to his 2019 form instead of his 2020, 2021 form, they're in great shape. If he's not, they're in trouble. Is Josiah Gray, what we saw from him at the end of the season, is that uh, you know who he's going to be and can he continue on that path and become more consistent and be a top three starter for them? Makes a big difference. Who fills out the back of the rotation? Uh, what does Cade Cavalli look like in spring training? Does he push for a spot? And then who's pitching at the end of games? You know, I think if there are any moves they're going to make during that free agent frenzy that's coming up one of these days, I've got to believe there's at least one, if not two relievers in the mix, because it was such a problem late last season, especially they had really had the worst bullpen in the majors from July 31st on. You were putting guys in roles they were not used to uh, and they paid the price for it. And so I really feel like there's going to be an emphasis on getting at least one, maybe two experienced late inning relievers to help close out games. Cause there's nothing more demoralizing to a baseball team, Bobby, than you do everything right to be in position to win in the eighth and ninth innings. And then you lose it. And that happened to them way too much in August and September. And even on a rebuilding team, I know you say, why go spend money on a closer? I think in this case, there's a psychological reason to do it. And even in a worst case, you go get somebody who's good for you. And then come July 31st, if your team's out of contention, that's a really good trade chip to help you get more prospects in the future. Yeah, unfortunately, you and I were writing way too many rewrites at late in games uh, late in the season last year with all those blown leads and, and unfortunate collapses from the bullpen. So hopefully they do add someone uh, to maybe kind of secure that spot and Dave Martinez can feel a little more comfortable uh, sending out a, a trusted arm to close out victories. Um, well, we know, obviously, there's not major league camp right now, but there is minor league camp getting underway. The minor league season is still going on as scheduled. Mentioned Cavalli. I'm not going to talk about Cavalli or Rutledge or House. Are there any prospects that maybe we should be talking a little bit more on? Maybe paying attention more to as minor league camp gets underway. Um, aside from the top names that we talk about a lot now. Yeah. So you know, it's interesting in that even though they've just started this rebuilding project, a, a lot of their top prospects, a lot of the guys they got in return, are already going to be in big league camp and competing for jobs that's not already on the roster. So there aren't that many really at the lower levels in the minor leagues that we don't talk about a lot. Like you said, Brady house, because uh, he was a first round pick last year. Um, the, the kid they just signed out of the Dominican 17 year old uh, Christian Vasquez. He's still in the Dominican is probably going to spend the year there. I wrote about that uh, the other day. He's going to be the future, but we're not going to be seeing him, you know, in the U S I think for at least another year. So I'm going to put a name out there of somebody who hasn't gotten a whole lot of attention or did a few years ago because he was another Latin American prospect who was signed to a big uh, signing bonus and had high hopes for, and he's really coming off a bad year in 2021. And that's Yasel Antuna. Now he's already on the 40 man roster. They put him there uh, to kind of try to protect him, even though he was not big league ready yet. Um, but as a shortstop, it did not work out. A ton of errors in the field for him. It probably hurt him at the plate as well. And what that ended up doing, or convinced the Nationals to do, was have him become an outfielder instead. So they're giving up on shortstop for him. They're going to put him in left field 
hope that he becomes competent enough out there to be, you know, a decent outfielder. But more importantly, take all that pressure off him and say, just go hit. Because he is a guy who should have uh, the offensive skills to be a big league hitter, even if it ends up as like a DH someday or maybe as a, a corner outfielder. So this is a huge year for him. Uh, coming off such a bad year, they need him to step up and start hitting the way that they always expected him to and then prove that he can just be fairly serviceable as a defensive player. It wasn't going to happen at shortstop. Um, you know, Brady House is now probably the, the answer there in the long term, although he's still got a long ways to go. So I'm curious to see um, what happens with Antuna this year. How far up the system does he make it? Does he start hitting the way that they've always expected him to? Yeah, Amy and I talked about him a couple of weeks ago when we kind of went through all the top prospects, position players and pitchers. And Yasuo Antuna, I mean, the Nationals have a lot of, they're a lot, they're really young, but they have a lot of depth at the shortstop position. I mean, there's a lot of guys on the lower levels that are highly thought of that could come up and, and fill that spot. And Antuna, unfortunately, is just going to be kind of pushed to the side. But like you said, he can hit. So hopefully they're just kind of figuring out a way to get his bat in the lineup and he kind of breaks through this year. Um, but it is glad to see, you know, there is some baseball activity in West Palm Beach across the country. Up in Florida and Arizona as minor league seasons get underway. I mean, of course, you and I aren't down there having eyes on them, but uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll also have some major league activity to talk about. At Mark Zuckerman on Twitter, of course, the blog on MassInSports.com. Any breaking news, he'll have you covered um, all on all aspects of the lockout, minor league camp, whatever goes on. Um, referring to the Nationals in baseball, Mark has you covered. Mark, hopefully we'll chat soon about actual baseball with the major leaguers. Uh, but if not, thank you so much for your time for today, and uh, we'll maybe catch you later. Let's do it next time in Florida. What do you say? Uh, that'd be great. Yeah, just post outside of the uh, West Palm Beach facility and uh, get some sun, yeah. put on the sunglasses. That'd be, that'd be, I would love that. Amy's already down there. We can just go meet her. We can go meet her right now. There you go. I'm all for it. All for it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Mark, so much for your time. And be sure to catch all his coverage on MassInSports.com. Thanks to Brandon Brendan Mortensen for his uh, producing skills behind the scenes for this week's podcast. Amy will be back next week. Be sure to watch us every single week on the Mass and All Access podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you can, wherever you watch us, consume us, we can find us and subscribe. Hit the like button. Be sure to follow us at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter, at Mass and Nationals across the board for social media. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll hopefully see you next week. 